Hello, and welcome all to another episode of Melanin Macabre. I am your co-host, Amy Ramirez, um, with my co-host, Kristen Porter. Kristen, would you like to uh, say hi? Hi! Hi, everyone! Um, this In this podcast, uh, if you're new to uh, this podcast, um, this is where Kristen and I talk about um, pretty much just like anything really macabre we'll talk about. Um you know, ghost stories, myths, scary stories, um, true crime, um, but with an emphasis on BIPOC communities and other marginalized communities such as like transgendered or um, LGBTQ communities, just pretty much um, just any marginalized uh, community really, but really the emphasis on, well, I guess you would say like BIPOC communities and mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that is what this podcast is about. We are on our technically fifth episode, but I think we've only put out like what three. Yeah, there's there's some technical difficulties with the with episode four, so that one is delayed. I'm gonna try my best to get that out around the same time that I edit episode five. Um, so yeah, if you're wondering why we're talking about Halloween, it was because we recorded it on Halloween or around after Halloween. But def- there's a b- various series of unfortunate events that occurred that have delayed that the episode. Yeah. So I think we yeah, I think we um, recorded it like maybe like November 1st or November 2nd. Mm-hmm. And then we had some technical difficulties. <laughs> and then life kind of got in the way. Yes. Um, my job. I don't know. I'm assuming your job as well. Yeah. Um, Just various so, things getting in yeah. the way. Yeah. And then I got sick. I got sick. Um, yeah, that was COVID, um, but just I just had like a cold, and then that kind of wiped took me out for like a week, mm-hmm. and so yeah, and so there was just like a lot of things. But we're back. Yeah, we are back. <laughs> so, um, Kristen, I haven't seen you in a while. Like, yeah, like I think we went to go see Dave Chappelle's documentary together. Yeah, like right before Thanksgiving. Yeah. And then I think that was the last time we actually even talked. Yeah. Yeah. It's been it's been a while. So like I not not much has happened like life-wise, but I got promoted at Yay! my job. Yeah, that's awesome. I got another promotion. It's my second promotion. Wow. Um I got promoted last year and I'm now officially a project manager. Well, <gasps> it's official on January 3rd, but yeah, I my title oh, is officially yeah, but you don't work for like two weeks, so that's like, yeah, yeah, that's awesome. So, yeah, this is like, I mean, this is kind of like a really cool milestone because I've never imagined being like being at a job long enough to be promoted twice, and also yeah. to be promoted to having manager in my title. Yeah, um, yeah. So it's kind of cool. I'm not managing anyone just yet. I have the ability to, but I, <clears throat> I'm just being honest with myself. Like, I don't, I don't think it's like. Me having like low, or maybe it's like having low self confidence. But I feel like I want to take some training before I actually like supervise somebody because I I'm just worried that I'd be a shitty supervisor. <laughs> so, um, uh, no, I don't agree with that <laughs> statement at all. Well, oh, thank you. I think that's you. Yeah. You know, kind of underestimating yourself. And yeah, you're probably right. I mean, I think I think the key to being a successful manager, um. And I say this as a teacher because as a teacher, 
I feel like it's really managing like 25 students at once is like a mm-hmm. job. I think the key, as long as you, as long as you remain sympathetic to the people below you, and mm-hmm. as long as you remind yourself that they're human beings who make mistakes, I think if, as long as you treat them like human beings, I really feel like there's no way you can go wrong with being a manager. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I that's think, encouraging. Yeah, yeah. I think that, I mean, obviously, like, you're not there to be their best friends. And, you know, obviously, like, they still have to do what you say. But I think that one of the biggest mistakes that people do when they're, when they have people working for them or working under them, and I use quotation marks um, to mm-hmm. work, for to working under them, is that, you know, you're not... I don't know. Just keep it in mind that you're not better than them. You're not a better person than them. And you still yeah. have to be because I feel like that you want to you want to do your best job to someone who makes you feel valued. And I think that's really something that Agreed. like isn't um, that people. I don't know. Not to get into the whole like capitalism bad thing. <laughs> but I do think that in a capitalistic society that gets lost a lot is the humanization mm-hmm. of the workers. And I think I think as long as you remember that they're people and that they're just trying to do a good job and that you have to encourage them actively and to make them feel valued. And I feel like nobody wants to let down a boss that they feel, you know, that makes them feel like they've accomplished something or they've done something well. So I think that's like a huge thing. So as long as you remember that, I think you'll be fine. Yeah. And I've definitely had like not great, like, as you know, I've had like not great yeah. experiences with like a supervisor before. So yeah. if it, if anything, I would take that experience. I would take that as a learning experience yeah. for what, not, how not to be a supervisor. Yeah. Um, and I've also had like the complete like opposite experience where I had a really supportive supervisor mm-hmm. and I would definitely want to exemplify that. Yeah. So I will take Whenever it come, it becomes time for me to actually supervise someone, I'm going to channel all of that energy and give someone and just be like a good supportive like supervisor to someone. That's because that's really ultimately what I'm worried about. So yeah, but I think yeah, as long as you keep that in mind, I think you'll be fine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I have complete faith in you. Like I think that you're going to you. do awesome, and I think that you're much more capable than you give yourself credit for. So I think you'll be great, and you definitely deserve this promotion. It's been a long time coming. Yes. So the most important thing, though, is does it come with a pay raise? It does. I don't know how much. Oh, uh, but you should, have, you should have found that out before you accepted the promotion. But it's okay. Well, the, well, they don't. Yeah, but my job, like, they're like kind of like hush hush about the money until you actually Ugh. get the promotion. So and then and I yeah, it's it's strange. And so the but the thing with my job is that I know. Well, okay. I guess if I have anyone who like works, who knows where I work, this isn't a secret with my type of job, but I know how much people make at my job because mm-hmm. because of my position, I have access to that information. Right. So I have an idea of the other project managers at my job. I have an idea of how much they make. Um, and I'm, ba- I'm assuming that I will be making a similar amount. Right. Um, hoping. Um, and there's also like talks in my organization about like pay equity. So my, our pay might even shift because of that as well. Hmm. So whatever I'm thinking, uh, I'm going to be paid is, is, is okay. (laughs) It's more more than what I'm making now. It's okay, but it could be more. So 
We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> but something's better than something's better than nothing. And then the higher up you go, the more money you make. So, but this is really yes. good. I'm not so proud of you. I'm so happy for you. I'm so excited. Thank for you. you. Yeah. Thanks. Well, enough about me. What's been going on with you, Amy? <clears throat> oh Lord. Well, other than being sick, well, I had a mental breakdown mm. um, about my job. For those of you that don't know, I'm a teacher, so obviously comes with a bunch of stresses but it just was with the pandemic and just kind of um it's just a pandemic like our county and i think actually like all the school like just all the schools around the country they've just been having dealing with a lot of issues with like behavior and like kids who are kind of like at i don't know there's like a lot of social emotion social emotional learning that just didn't go on when they were in quarantine that now mm-hmm. like of course like teachers are left to basically raise children and Mm. teach them coping skills and social skills that they should have been learning at home that Mm -hmm. their parents were supposed to be teaching them but because in our society in american societies teachers are undervalued and yet are expected to pick up slack of really like of just parents that i don't even know if they're like parents purposely just don't teach their kids if they don't even know that they're supposed to i don't know like i i don't know i don't want to spent a whole like hour and a half talking about that but as a result of these like lack of social emotional learning skills there's just been a lot of like behavioral issues throughout the country one of Mm -hmm. them in particular has been um apparently this is like i thought this was just something going on in you know in like the county where we live but apparently it's something that's happening like all over the country according to like the teacher reddit page that like kids have been like calling in false bomb threats like they've been calling in um they've been putting like threats um threats of like gun violence in the schools um Mm. and so yes as a society we've gotten to a place where kids are so desensitized to school shooters and gun violence that they even make jokes about it um and so unfortunately um there have been a rise there's been a rise in like violence at our school um nothing like too Mm -hmm. serious just kids like getting into fights and wanting to go viral and so they've come up with like this instagram pages Mm-hmm. Um, dedicated to like body shaming and then dedicated to fights and then uh, um, two days in one week kids um, posted rumors of like a possible gun shooter and so we were in the, we weren't Ugh. in lockdown mode we mm-hmm. were in locked in mode which oh is God. basically just like when nobody can come in nobody can go out but like classes resume as usual and um they don't tell us anything so like the kids are asking me questions and i'm like i don't know what's going on and i'm tense i have a tummy ache because i have anxiety so i have a tummy ache like kids are being like and then like the longer because like we had been in locked in mode since like the morning so like the longer the day goes on like the more kids are starting to freak out because they're not getting any information they were Mm -hmm. locking doors they were closing doors like any door in the school that didn't need to be open was closed and the kids started getting freaked out and then i had to be strong for the kids but i was also freaking out and i'm like i don't want to die and then one of my students was like miss they're like miss blah 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 they're like miss ramirez would uh if if we there's a school shooter here, would you save us? And I told him straight, I was like, no. I was like, every man for themselves. I was like, every man for themselves. You get left behind, you get left behind. And they laughed. And I was like, haha, I'm joking. But I wasn't think, joking. Yeah. <laughs> I was not joking. I'm, no, I'm those kids will not give up their lives for me, and I definitely will not give up my lives for them. Sorry about it. But <laughs> every man for themselves. But oh no, so gosh. yeah, so just been dealing with that stress and then the school stress 
Um, and then also being sick. But mm-hmm. um, I've been killing it in CrossFit. Like, I've been killing it. Hell yeah. Um, meeting PRs, like, every week. Um, so I've been killing it with that. And then today I had a, a lovely little get-together with um, some colleagues at uh, – a colleague and his wife. Um and it was wonderful. Shout out to those two people. I don't want to say their names because I don't know if they want to be mentioned, but they know who they are. They literally, I, I literally just came back from their house. <laughs> so, um, and they said they would listen. So, shout out to oh, you two. What cool. um, both? Yes, one. It's one of they're one of those couples where you just like they're so cute, and you know like why they're with each other. Aww. I don't know. It's just really cute. So, um, and their house is beautiful. So I'm oh, I was gonna ask Either where way. they live, but that is way too much personal information for you to be getting uh, out. So. I'll, I'll tell you because you'll know. They live okay. in, they live in an area that's close to where we where I live, but mm. it's in like the the more affluent side. Oh, okay. I think I know what yeah. you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Okay. So I could tell from the zip code that you sent me earlier, I was like, okay. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. So you, ha- so you know, you know, yeah. So, <laughs> but yeah, um, but yeah, that's what's been going on with me. So, um, do you just kind of like we sh- want to get started on um, our yes. stories for today? Yes. Um, you, you know what? I'll like- start. I'll start this time. Okay. Yeah. Um, because I think I don't think I've gone first yet. Yeah. Um. So I don't know what your story is, and I don't. We didn't really have a theme for this week. Yeah, but um, I actually was going to start with um, like another spooky story and Ooh. then um, I actually decided to completely switch it up and actually focus on um, the missing indigenous women in Canada, North America slash oh, yeah. the Highway of Tears. I don't know if you've heard of it. I haven't. Real? You've never heard of it? The Highway of Tears? No. <clears throat> oh, my gosh. That surprises me. Um, oh my gosh! <laughs> I thought you would have. No, 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 no. I, I, my ass no, here. That's, that's not. That's not a judgment on you at all. No, I'm just. I'm just surprised just because it's. Um, it's like a thing that I think a lot of like crime, true crime podcasts have touched on. Like I think mm-hmm. Crime Junkie did an episode. I think My Favorite Murder has done a couple oh, of okay. um of mentions of it, and it's just it's like a something that has been gaining momentum in like the um the true crime community. So I just thought, but it's okay. I don't, I mean, don't feel like this is like one of those like Ted Bundy cases that has gotten a lot of attention <laughs> and, you know, yeah. everybody knows about it. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why I decided to look it up. Um, Cause I do a lot of um, Reddit page surfing because mm-hmm. that's what I do in my free time. I go on Reddit. Me I'm too. Really sorry, by the way, I'm still sick. So I'm going to blow my nose. So <clears throat> um, yeah. So there have been, um, there was a lot of like talks in the Reddit pages, true crime Reddit pages about, um, yeah, these like missing and murdered indigenous women, which are actually go by the acronym MMIW. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of this, a lot of these cases have had a, a line shine, like shined on them because of the Gabby Petito case and how, mm. you know, when it first came out, it got everyone's attention. Like it took Twitter and Reddit by storm, and then a lot of people were taking advantage of uh, of this attention that this case was getting to also shine light on women of color that were missing, um, mm-hmm. or people of color were missing. Um, just like we did, like I, you know, like we did with the 
with Mia Marcano case, like on I think what was that episode three? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um. So they, yeah. So this the, these cases have also been um popping up, and so I wanted to kind of like learn a little bit more about that. So, um, I don't have a lot of information, and unfortunately, this is a result of um the type of case that this is and the people mm-hmm. involved in this case. Um, so if I do want to preface this by saying if I'm missing any information or if I offend anybody, um, please, please feel free to let me know if I've missed something. And I want to approach this as like gingerly as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I'm going to, uh, so I guess I'll start talking about what, the missing what the missing and then murdered murdered indigenous women or mmiw is about so this is actually considered a human rights crisis um and mm. it disproportionately affects indigenous women specifically in canada and the u.s um but the a lot of the cases actually take place in canada um, mm-hmm. but there are some cases in the u.s which is why the u.s is included um so it affects particularly those women in the FNMI, which are the, um, so Canada has, and again, if I'm incorrect, please let me know, but, um, Canada has three major indigenous groups. Um, though one of them is the first nations, the, then Métis, and I hope I'm pronouncing that right. And then Inuit. Mm -hmm. So, the First Nations are a group of Canadian Indigenous people, and they're classified um, as different from the Inuit, who um, are another Indigenous group, another one of the top of the major three. Um, and the Inuit inhabit Arctic regions of Greenland, Canada, and Alaska. Um, and then the Métis group, or Métis group, um, I'm pronouncing it Métis because that's French, but it might mm-hmm. be Matisse. Um, and this is a group, so the Matisse are a group of people that are mixed um, European, mainly French, and indigenous ancestry. Um, um, and so, and then I think the Matisse group uh, people are found like in Western Canada, Manitoba, Saskatchewan, and Alberta. Um, and then. There are about 634 recognized First Nations governments or bands across America. And half of those are located in the provinces of Ontario and British Columbia. So, um, yeah, I think Canada does a little bit better job recognizing these indigenous groups than I think the U.S. does. But there's still, as you'll see here, there's still a lot of work that needs to be done on Canada's part. So they're not perfect. So I just want to preface that. Um, But, yeah, so that's just a little bit about... um, what these groups are make you know what i'm saying who are the people who make up these groups mm-hmm. um so the highway of tears is this 700 uh kilometer or for us americans 430 miles okay so for us americans <laughs> <Yeah>. <clears throat> but it's 700 kilometers uh of highway 15 that um runs from prince george to Brit- prince rupert british columbia i don't know canada so me neither. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but it's yeah. basically it's just 430 miles of highway that connects these two parts of um, Canada. If I'm not mistaken, and I might be mistaken, but British Columbia, I think, is like on the western part of Canada. Um, so it's kind of like where Alaska is, like where Washington is, mm, if I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken. So it's 
So it's like a large stretch of land. And so yeah. the uh, this is actually the Highway of Tears has come into um, has become infamous uh, because it's a site of murder and disappearance of, mm. of a number of what are mainly indigenous women um, since 1969. Um, wow. And so, of course, like there are people who have gone who have disappeared Um that aren't indigenous women, but the reason for why it's considered a human rights crisis, because they're indigenous women are being disproportionately um, affected by this. Yeah. <clears throat> and so the term um, highway of tears was um, first mentioned or the article said coined during a vigil that was held in Terrace, British Columbia in 1998. And it was um, the term was come up, was made up, by Florence Nazil, who was um, thinking about the victims' families as they were crying over their loved ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and so according to Wikipedia, which is where I got most of my information, um, there are as many as 80 plus suspected crimes that have been connected along the stretch of land. And that's just like, these are just suspected crimes. Yeah. Um, as you'll see, the actual... Well, you'll see, but like it's 80 suspected crimes, suspected being like the key word there. Yeah. Um, like 80 plus. Um, and so these crimes have been spanning from like 1969 or according to Wikipedia, 1970 up until now. Um, mm. So that is 50 years of activity. And who knows about like before 1970, but like yeah. there's been 50 years of activity um, along that long stretch of land. So. Um, there have been um, proposed explanations for how frequent and how like how frequent these crimes occur or the frequency of you know these crimes and then also like how, why they've lasted so long like why it's been 50 years of these crimes being committed and a lot of them have to do with socioeconomic issues um, mm-hmm. such as discrimination racism and poverty so um as you know like a lot of indigenous groups deal with um poverty you know or Mm -hmm. lack of resources um so a lot of the victims um are often impoverished um some are dealing with drug abuse Uh, others are victims of domestic violence um this one was said disconnection with traditional culture um i'm not really sure what that means i think that was like a very general term um Mm. yeah like maybe like um like the only thing I'm thinking of is remember um I think we learned like we learned about this briefly I feel like in history class mm-hmm. but um how like the like European I think this was maybe like in the 1800s but white people basically forced indigenous folks into those like Christian schools to yes. basically mm-hmm. like whitenize them yeah um made them cut their hair and like pretty much forget their traditional cultures maybe that's what maybe that's what that means yeah <clears throat> yeah that's that's a good point that actually they actually mentioned that a little bit on um they actually mentioned that a little bit in the articles I read. I didn't want to expand too much on the Canadian Indian residential school system because I, I feel like that's a whole, like that deserves its its whole episode. So I didn't yeah. want to like, that's definitely something I will touch upon. So if you're curious about that, I do plan on talking about that um, okay, cool. at some point. But they did mention it. Um, they also mentioned another reason is the interruption, another factor 
um, is interruption of the family unit, which mm-hmm. this could as another another general term, but this could also mean like imprisoned family members because, mm-hmm. um, you know, indigenous people also um, the criminal justice system has not been particularly kind to them. Um, and then also like single parents, um, foster care, and then under foster care specifically, like the Canadian Indian residential school system, um, which is what you were talking about. Mm. um and so like for example like poverty can make transportation access very difficult and so like you know owning a car is expensive the maintenance and all that stuff so a lot of these people that were victims you know didn't it couldn't own a car couldn't afford a car um there's also a lot of there's a lack of public transportation along the highway um So therefore, a lot of people had to hitchhike to see family, go to work, receive medical treatment. Um, And then so, yeah, so, you know, and we know like we know now that like hitchhiking is very dangerous. Um, But like if you need to be somewhere and there's no Uber along the stretch of the highway, like you're left with no choice but to hitchhike. Um, And then other factors just include the fact, just like the location of this highway. In Canada, like we, like I said, Canada's huge. So like, it's not, not, you know, Canada is, the rest of Canada is not like Toronto. Like it's not, you know, a metropolitan place. Like there's a lot of places that are isolated and remote. And so a lot of the land along this highway is remote and is isolated. And so, you know, you know, if you get lost out there, it's very difficult to find you um and also in canada like these parts of canada there's a lot of trees you know closer to the arctic circle so maybe it gets darker earlier over there um in certain parts and also there's just a lot of animals and so they can eat human remains um so it's just pretty much an ideal disposal spot for killers or people who want to hide crimes so that mixture so basically it's like you have a high pool of you have a big pool of like potential victims and then you have like a big place to dispose of them. Um, And so it's kind of just like a terrible combination. Um, And so the British Columbian government has dissuaded women from hitchhiking um, and they've used billboards along the highway. So if unfortunately, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to end up on that highway, but if we ever end up on the highway, you might see like a billboard or two. Um, Yeah. But I mean, I think that women don't, I think most women don't hitchhike because they want to. I think most women hitchhike because they need they to. to. Yeah. So I pretty much feel like if you don't address the issues of why people are hitchhiking in the first place, then you're, then there's no amount of billboards that are going to dissuade women from doing that. Plus, if you're already, if you're already on the highway. <clears throat> yeah. Exactly. What what good is that billboard to me if I'm already on the highway? Like that makes no sense. But whatever. Okay. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> um so there has been some police response. Um so um so the first time that the RCMP, which is the Royal sorry, Canadian Mountain Police has looked at these cases as being linked as them all being linked and having some relation was in 1998 so it's probably what 28 years since like the first known case or first documented Mm -hmm. case um on this highway 
was reported or documented as being part of the Highway of Tears. So several serial killers have been linked with murders on the Highway of Tears. Um, so I don't want to spend too much time talking about serial killers because I, you know, fuck them. But um, mm-hmm. these are some that I've actually never heard of these people. And I think that's because they're Canadian. Um, there's Brian Peter Arp, Edward Dennis Isaac, and Cody Legibokoff, which that last name is a nightmare. I don't even think I pronounced it right. <laughs> um, but yeah, like these are so... I mean, I'm mentioning their names because just to show that, like, several serial killers have used this area as, like, a uh, a place to pick up victims as well as disposing of them. Um, mm-hmm. And so fast forward, like, seven years to when the RCMP first linked these cases. Um, the RCMP then in British Columbia then launches a Project EPANA uh, in 2005. Um, and so this investigation, uh, there's an investigation with nine murdered women. And then the task force was created in 2006 to investigate these nine murdered women. And then in 2007, nine more cases were added. And so these mm-hmm. included both murdered and missing women along highways 16, 97, and 5, which all connect and create the Highway of Tears. Mm-hmm. Um And so this task force consisted of more than 50 investigators. So there are different estimates of the number of victims. And so the RCMP have identified 18 murders and disappearances, 13 of them being teenagers. So that is Mm. depressing. That is very sad. And later I'm going to talk about some of the victims. And yeah, they were... They were babies, um, wow. which really hurts. Um, yeah. yeah. So the RCMP have identified 18 murders and disappearances. Um, other organizations believe that it's closer to 40. Oh, wow. Um, and then, like I said, Wikipedia has stated that suspected cases are 80 plus. And so oh. for and then um there's a reason for this discrepancy, and it's because the RCMP and the Project EPANA have criteria for these cases to be included in their portfolio or in their caseload. You know what I mean? To be recognized mm-hmm. as related and linked crimes. And so for a disappearance or a murder to be included in the Project EPANA statistics, um, the crime has to have has to happen within a mile of these three highways. So highway 1697 oh, five. So it has I to have see. happened within a mile, which, um, and then it says here that the count, uh, is rejects all cases that take place elsewhere along the route. So oh, that's so why their gonna... number. Yeah. So that's why their so number. S- sorry, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. No, well, I was just going to say like, if somebody, so if somebody gets murdered, like, five miles away from the highway but then they choose to drop the killers chooses to drop them um on the highway they wouldn't be counted um that i don't know that i don't know um i I don't know about that um it was really hard to find information about that but it it for me that for me I don't know. That for me really skews the numbers a lot. And there and there yeah. appears to be like a dark figure of crime here. Um, mm-hmm. Because a mile is not 
that far. It's not. And, you know, if you're on this highway, you most likely have access to a vehicle. Like, if you're going to perpetrate a crime in, like, in on this highway, you probably have access to a vehicle. And, therefore, you're not going to kill someone. I don't know. I just feel like, you know, if you're going to kill someone and drop them off, like, I think the average per, a person with average intelligence is going to probably dispose the body a little bit farther than a mile away. So, yeah. so that's why the number that the RCMP has is so low because if even if you're like 1.5 miles away from the highway, you're not going to be counted as being linked, which doesn't make any sense because no nope. <clears throat> doesn't make any sense because you know and also like you said like there you know how do we know that a crime wasn't committed like how do we know if someone was kidnapped on the highway Mm. and then killed five miles away but still like along the highway so i don't know like it just that is a little bit fuzzy to me um but then also like having those numbers so low i also feel like downplays you know the seriousness and the severity of the crimes being committed and you know that's just stupid to me and so because like when you were talking about how the the at least the suspected murders spanned from what like 1969 to now yeah that's like from 1969 prior Mm -hmm. who knows what was going on even like yeah. I was thinking like could be hundreds could be thousands like well just and it probably like is much, yeah yeah much l- larger number yeah that's probably the you know and it could be that, that that that's the real number but the RCMP because they have this criteria it's they they makes the number much lower but unfortunately like the RCMP EPANA numbers appear to be like the the official and I use I'm using quotation marks here like air bunnies like mm-hmm. they, that's the official number. So if you're researching this, you're gonna get the RCMP has officially categorized 18 crimes as being associated with the Highway of Tears. When other organizations are out here saying no, like, you know, it's really more like 40 or 50 or even more. So yeah. you know what I mean? Like it's just, and then also like there's a lot of people who are just missing, and so mm-hmm. you know, who are missing, they're not confirmed dead. So it's like. How do we know that this person, how do we know where this person went missing exactly? Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, that skews the number a lot as well. So, so yeah, so that's the reason for the discrepancy. Um, and so, um, so yeah, so that is like the police response, like what they've done. And I'm going to, and I'm also my notes are a little bit all over the place, so I apologize. I like mm-hmm. to organize these things, and I just didn't have time. Um, blame my ADHD for that. So um, I might come back to that. I don't know. But uh, now I'm going to talk about kind of the history, a little bit of the history that um, – yeah, a little bit of the history and, like, kind of why – this case should is like these cases are important um so as you know and as i i think most people know indigenous people in the americas have been treated like shit Mm -hmm. um and 
I think that people think that that's kind of like a, I think some people, and I, I blame, you know, history classes and history books for this, that the treatment of indigenous people seems to be, is painted as being like something of the past. Like, it's like, oh, like Europeans came. Yeah, they killed some indigenous people. Yeah, they took their land, but we're cool now because they have reservations and, you know, racism is dead and nobody's racist anymore because we can all go to school and and hang out with each other and and indigenous people are fine now. And so that's kind of this thing that we've been sold. And when the reality is that indigenous people in America and in Canada are still treated like shit. Um, and so, of course, historically, indigenous people, especially indigenous women, um, have been socially, economically, and politically disenfranchised. Um, and so indigenous women are actually frequent targets of hatred and violence. Um, and there are, like, I think I mentioned before, like, underlying factors like poverty, but I know poverty, homelessness, yeah, um, is, is often prevalent and these communities, um, uh, as well as historical factors such as racism, sexism, and imperialism. And that's like, not to get into this whole thing, because I really, if I start talking about this, I'll get so angry and I'll get so worked <laughs> up and we'll be here for like 30 hours. But this is, and I'm just going to, I'm just going to say this and I'm going to move on. This is why it is so important to understand what systematic racism is and also yep. understand what the impact of racist policy is because mm-hmm. i think for people to think like if we just like eliminate segregation and we just and we just like we just stopped killing indigenous people and we stopped you know we we took away you know jim crow laws or we you know we fixed racism mm-hmm. that way but like that's not how it works and yeah there there are people who two generations, three generations after these laws have been passed, four generations of these laws have been passed, are still dealing with the consequences and the social impact of these laws. And mm-hmm. so for you to think that racism is gone because in it, like indigenous people can shop at Target with white people mm. is just bonkers to me. It's not that okay. simple, folks. Exactly. So I'm just going to leave it at that. Okay, because <laughs> like I said, we could be here for hours if I just keep talking yeah. about it. But yeah, so a lot of these group, like a lot of these, you know, um, people in these communities, you know, are dealing with these with these things. Uh, and so unfortunately, this makes indigenous women targets for violence and it makes them targets for, you know, people like serial killers who kind of want to. It's not to. S- it's kind of like these are easy targets for these people because they they know that these cases will most likely not be looked at in de- you know so much in depth as like if a pretty white cheerleader from Connecticut went missing. Does that make any yep. sense? You know. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um so and this made me release I had no idea that this was like an actual statistic but indigenous women are actually three times more likely to be victims of violent crime. Not in general, but three times more likely to be victims of violent crimes than other women. Oh my God. Yes. And oftentimes the violence is much more severe. Oh my God. So 
you know, I'm not sure what that means, like, in comparison to black women, in comparison to Hispanic women, but they're just more more likely to be victims than other women. So, mm. and women are already more likely to be victims of any crime, of, yeah. you know, a violent crime such as murder and rape. So to mm-hmm. add that, to triple that is really scary and is really sad. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, these women need to be protected. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, <clears throat> um, specifically in Canada, because most of these cases took place in Canada, uh, and I don't want to, uh, I don't want to hate on Canada. I have an aunt who lives in Canada and I do think Canada is much better than America in a lot of ways, but just because you're better doesn't mean that you're the best. So they, we're going to see here that, that Canada is not so nice as we were once taught that they were mm-hmm. so um according to activists there have been thousands of cases of missing and murdered women that were not properly investigated due to police bias bias from the rcmp and mm-hmm. uh, local police stations um which as we know is not surprising yeah um so an example is um victims of richard picton so richard picton was another serial killer who um, killed a lot of indigenous women for a while. Um, and I don't want to go into much into him because this is not what he, this is about, but families claim that Richard Picton was able to kill for so long because police hadn't taken the disappearances of the women that were, that were missing seriously because most of these women were either sex workers or they were mm. indigenous women. So, you know... And, and we've seen that a lot with other serial killers in America where, like, you know, because these were women who were lived, quote unquote, high risk lifestyles, they weren't as investigated. And so people kind of just like they don't link them or they don't bother to investigate whether there is a link. And it takes a while. It takes a lot longer to get these cases taken seriously. So yeah. that's an example of kind of like the lack of effort to investigate and take these um, cases seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, and so not surprisingly, the RCMP has been accused of racism as well as the Canadian media. Um, and so, um, and the Canadian media has been accused of racism because of the way that they have um, touched upon um, basically like just how they've, how they've dealt with the cases or maybe they're actually their lack of but basically just their apathy towards these cases. <clears throat> and so an example of this is um, Nicole, the case of Nicole Hoare. I, th- I think that's how, okay. I don't want to call her Nicole Hoare, but it's her last name is H O A R Hoare or O R. Maybe it's Hore? French. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah. I, I'm not sure, but we'll call her Nicole. So she was, um, one of her cases was associated with the highway of tears um so she was a caucasian woman who disappeared in 2002 and she received a disproportionate amount of media attention at the time of her disappearance so kind of like gabby petito um like that kind of media attention um and um when i say disproportionate i don't mean that she didn't deserve this attention i think i think we talked about this in the like in the episode of with mia mercano like i think any woman who go any person who goes missing like you know 
definitely deserves media attention you know it deserves the efforts of people to find them i you know because no family should have to deal with their their child going missing or their parent going missing so i definitely don't want to hate on the amount of attention that a person receives when they go missing the reason Mm -hmm. why we they use the word disproportionate is really because it is just people who look a certain way don't receive the same media attention yeah you know and so that that's where the issue lies so that's why the word disproportionate is used there yeah like Um, she deserves like like whoever she deserves that media attention indigenous women who've also gone missing deserve that same level of attention and the same just the same amount of care you know what i mean yeah Mm -hmm. um and so her case was actually the first of the highway of tears cases to be covered in the globe and mail the vancouver sun and edmonton journal so for a lot of these magazines in canada this was actually the first case associated with the highway of tears to get any notice and this was in 2002 and as you remember i mentioned you know these cases you know going on since 1970 yeah and um what was that uh yeah and the term highway of tears was first used in 1998 so this is something that i'm sure people within these communities were already aware of um, and then it's also like, you know, this was in 2002, this woman goes missing in 2002. And then in 2005, the RCMP comes up with the EPANA thing. Like, you know, that to me, like, isn't a coincidence. Like that to me yeah. just kind of shows that like the amount of attention this case got pushed, you know, pushed the police to get involved and take initiative to solve these crimes, which mm-hmm. great. Like, you know that's how they should react but that's how they should react all the time yeah, like it definitely. shouldn't take you know a you know a white you know and i don't want to i don't want to make this about race but it is about race it doesn't you know it shouldn't take a white girl from a good home to make police react exactly. like you should have the same energy for the black girl that goes missing or for the indigenous girl that goes missing exactly you know what i mean so exactly like, yeah we all ma- we all matter we matter yeah. to the same degree um because at the end of the day like 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 i think you touched on this earlier that part of the part of the reason why these cases went unknown for so long is because is is due to police bias because yeah po- like the police law enforcement and the public can be are can be more biased towards missing white women um and like all of these things just basically highlight that like all of our lives we our lives hold as much weight and matter yeah. just as much as any white woman or any white person for that matter yeah so for yeah. sure <clears throat> and so okay so um so yeah so nicole's case brought all this media attention to the highway of tears and so um there was also a victim of there's also a victim called tamara chipman uh, Tamara Chipman um, who went missing as well um, and so her aunt is Gladys Raddick and she's an actually a native activist and the aunt of this victim and so she is quoted as saying believes sorry it was in an article sorry um, she wasn't quoted as saying this is what the article was quoted as saying 
Um, so Gladys Raddick believes that if it weren't for Nicole's for Nicole, the police would have invested less effort in investigating cases. And the media would have done little, if anything, to inform the public about the tragedies along the road. Um, and so, yeah, and so, and then Gladys Raddick, I think, oh, um, I'll get, sorry, I'll get back to her. Um, but, yeah, so that's what uh, Tamara's aunt said, is quoted as saying, which just, you know, adds to the fact that, um, that this is what's going on. Um Sorry. There's also been a lot of stories of women who, um, of victims who have survived their encounters along um, the Highway of Tears that have had racist encounters with the RCMP when they've reported the crime. And so, in an article with Al Jazeera, like Al Jazeera actually did like a six parter article about the Highway of Tears. Um, and so, one of them featured a story of uh, a woman. Her name is Jenny. And she was 29 years old at the time she was being interviewed. Um, but she, um, so her name was obviously changed for, you know, privacy purposes, but she was attacked when she was 19. Um, and she was just walking from school and she was from the Gitsan First Nation tribe or Kitwanga, which means people of the place of rabbits. And this was located in Northwest British Columbia. And so according to her story, she was um, walking home from school and a white pickup truck approached her and there were cat calling her. She ignored them. Which um, oftentimes is what people tell you to do when you're being catcalled. Just ignore them. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, there is no right way to deal with a catcaller because if a person is a deviant, it, there's really nothing you can. There's yeah. no right way to deal with it. And so she ignored them and then they got out of the truck and approached her. Oh and they God. said that it was disrespectful of her to ignore them and that they were going to teach her a lesson. So essentially oh women can't win. Like how she yeah, said something to them. How she said something to them. Had she not said, they just wouldn't have mattered. Yeah. And so these were two men of like either from 25 to 35 years of age. Um, trigger warning, by the way, I probably should have started this trigger warning. Um, so if you, mm-hmm. you know, if you trigger warning for sexual assault, so you can kind of like skip like 30 seconds. Um, but she was raped and left naked mm-hmm. in the mud. Um, I don't want to get into too much detail about like what they did to her, but yeah. it was, you know, it was just really sad. It was awful. Yeah. Um, and so they left her naked in the mud and she kind of disassociated and woke up, you know, in the mud. And so she, it was really sad when she was talking about it because she said that she didn't, she didn't want, her mom had already told her about the highway of tears. And cause it's like a thing that, you know, all the indigenous women in the area are definitely aware of. And so she didn't want her mom to, worry about her and to know Mm -hmm. that this had happened to her so instead of going to her house she went to her friend's house to shower and then her friend encouraged her to go to the hospital and so in the hospitals where she encountered a lot of the racism so she the nurses rolled their eyes at her when she would tell them yeah when she would tell them like what had happened and they just didn't believe her story they didn't seem to believe her story but they called the hospital anyway as that's protocol and then the RCMP came and they didn't seem to believe her story either. And what so little like little passive aggressive ways of basically letting her know that they didn't believe the story. So for one, she said the person she was talking to didn't take notes. 
<clears throat> and then would kind of like chime in when she was telling her story about like certain things that didn't sound right. They would be like, well, you know, most people are most people are attacked by people they know. So did you know these guys? Did you maybe leave them on? Like little Fuck things that. to yeah, like little things to like undermine her experience or her story. And so um she was obviously very traumatized about this and she based I don't know if she ended up reporting it. But then, like, the RCMP responded to that story as being, like, false. Like, there's protocol that needs to be followed. Like, that just doesn't seem likely. And I was oh, like, okay. A liar? Okay. Yeah, essentially. They basically, <laughs> you know, the little political way, diplomatic way of saying that she was a liar. Um, and so many indigenous women have said that they encounter similar things. That their cases have also been met with skepticism. And so, you know... It's easy, sure, like, if it was just one person who maybe made a false claim towards the RCMP, like, yeah, maybe I could believe that. But if there's many Indigenous women that come out and say we've had similar experiences to the one that Jenny's had, then I'm more inclined to believe them because, yeah. you know, I'm not an Indigenous woman. Like, I can't speak for them. But if these women are telling me that this is how they're being treated, then I'm going to believe that. Yeah. What? Yeah. It's bullshit. Um. So Lisa Brenner or Bruner, who's the executive director of Sacred Spirits First National Coalition, states that what happens through U.S. federal law and policy and as well Canadian policy is that they created lands of impunity where this is like a playground for serial rapists, batterers, killers, whoever, and our children aren't protected at all. Oh, goodness gracious. Yes. Wait a minute. Impunity. So, like, is there, like, some sort of law, like, is it, like, maritime law where there's, like, laws don't exist in that stretch of land? I think so. What the fuck? Also, I don't, sorry, I don't mean to get off topic, but it makes me think about murders on the high seas. Like, kind of, well, to tie it back in, to not get too off topic, but, like, who knows how many people have been murdered in the high seas, like, on a boat or a ship. So one, again, one would also assume that if laws apparently don't touch people in this stretch of land, that there's a lot of shit happening here that ha- that's happened in the past and unfortunately may continue to happen in the future. And that maybe there needs to be some type of, I don't know, prevention measures or something. Yeah. There's more attention to it, you know? Yeah. No, for sure. <clears throat> um. I remember what they mean by like land of impunity is just that like there's no consequences for these people. Oh, just naturally. You know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Like they might, or that no one cares. Yeah. You know? So maybe that's what she meant by that. Um, okay. But so this is just some statistics of what the United States and Canada have done. So this is the, not the boring stuff, but this is, uh, I'm going to go through this part pretty quickly. Um mm-hmm. But this is some of the stuff that Canada has done. So um, some awareness of this crisis has been raised by social media. um, And they've also been organized marches, databases, local community efforts, city council and tribal council meetings and domestic violence trainings for the police. Um, And so the the Canadian government has described the MMIW, which you remember, it's the missing. um, What was it? Miss. Oh, my God. I'm embarrassed. Missing and murdered Indigenous women. Mm-hmm. Um, so as a national crisis, as well as genocide. So they they mm-hmm. they consider it a form of genocide, which I definitely agree. Yeah. Um, and so in September 2016, 
um, as a response to the calls from the public and activists, um, the Canadian Prime Minister, you know, Justin Trudeau, mm-hmm. um, he established a national inquiry called the National Inquiry into Missing and Indigenous Women, Indigenous Women and Girls. Um, and so this inquiry was completed and presented to the public on June 3rd of 2019. And according to this inquiry, between the years 1980 and 2012, Indigenous women and girls represented 16% of all female homicides in oh Canada. While, yeah. yes, while only making up 4% of the female population the? in Canada. Oh my God. Yeah, so if you times, if you times, that's, that's, that's 4%. Like that's four, sorry, not 4%. That is four times. Good God. The female population. Holy shit. That's. That blows my mind. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? That uh, And indigenous women and girls. So there's little girls in this oh number. God. Yeah. So and that's just 1980 to 2012. Like that's not even going back. Yeah, going back you know. before that. Yeah. Yeah. So and obviously after. yeah, so obviously a disproportionate number of indigenous women are being affected and are victims. Yeah. Um So a 2014 report by the RCMP titled Missing and and Murdered Aboriginal Women, a National Operational Overview, found that more than a thousand indigenous women were murdered over the span of 30 years. Oh, my fucking God. So I would definitely call that a genocide. Absolutely. Um, So and then from 2001 to 2015, the homicide rate for indigenous women in Canada was almost six times as high as a homicide rate for other women representing 4.82 per 100,000 population versus 0.82 per 100,000 population. Oh, what? Yeah. So I guess the homicide rate for other women is 0.82 per 100,000. And then mm-hmm. the, for indigenous women is 4.82 per 100,000. Oh, my God. Yeah. I. Yeah. This is just like, wow. Yeah. And so obviously, like, in that number is the the women that were killed in the highway of tears. Um, And so this is the, so then this is this U S statistics. So native American women are more than in America, native American women are more than twice as likely to experience violence than any other demographic. And then a third, a third of indigenous women are sexually assaulted during their lifetime. What the fuck? That is one in three. Yeah. That is crazy. Yeah. And uh, 67% of these assaults are perpetuated by uh, perpetuated by other races. Okay. So that was going to be my next question. Like, who's perpetrating these crimes? Oh, my God. It doesn't say the statistics weren't broken down by race, but 67% perpetuated by other races is... That's a lot. That's the majority. Yeah. So... Yeah. That. Yeah. This is a yeah, like you're saying, like. But sometimes, like, like colonialism isn't over. Imperialism isn't over. Like these women are still being victimized. Yeah, you think? Yeah, just like you're saying, like you think that just because we're a couple generations removed, that magically this is the shit's gonna go away? No. Um. So the Federal Violence Against Women Act, or VAWA was reauthorized in 2013 which for the first time gave tribes jurisdiction to investigate and prosecute 
felony Good. domestic violence offenses, including both Native American offenders as well as offenders of other races on reservations. So if you're a white guy walking onto a reservation and you commit um, an act of violence towards a person of that reservation, this gives the tribe's jurisdiction to investigate and prosecute instead of leaving it to the U.S. federal government, which, as we've seen in the past, they've sort of like swept under the rug. Yeah. So I love that. Because it's one of their own. So, yeah, I love that they're getting the, yeah. that agency and that yeah. authority to do that. And in 2019, so this is pretty recent, the House of Representatives, led by the Democratic Party, this is what they specified. This is not me. <laughs> they specified <laughs> that. Um, passed the H.R. 1585, which is the Violence Against Women Reauthor- Reauthorization Act, Reauthorization Act of 2019. By a vote, uh, by a I cannot talk. By a vote <laughs> of two hundred and sixty-three to one fifty-eight, which increases tribes' prosecution rights much further. Oh, yeah. um, unfortunately, this bill was not taken up by the Senate. Fuck! What the fuck? Because which at the oh. time had a Republican majority. Okay, you know what? Okay, <laughs> fine. Uh, you know what? No, not even. Because if I start talking, I'm going to start talking about. Sorry, I can't even speak. That makes me so angry. If I start talking about the Republican, I don't care about getting. You know what? I don't care. I'm going to say real quick. Well, if you're listening to this, if you're listening to this and you're still listening to this, you probably aren't Republican. So whatever. Yeah. And if you are, or let me not go there. But let me just say, (laughs) let me just say that I am not surprised that, of course, that some a progressive a progressive law that would improve somebody's li- somebody's lives how how could you be opposed to people not being murdered and how could you like how could you oppose well, to think, not having well, resources to investigate these to play, crimes? okay to play devil's advocate to play devil's advocate not that I'm justifying mm-hmm. this but to play devil's advocate this law would have increased the tribe's prosecution powers and their rights to prosecute their own mm-hmm. on their own land. So af- away from U.S. intervention. And mm-hmm. so me, I don't know. Again, I'm not saying I agree, but to play devil's mm-hmm. advocate, that lack of U.S. involvement or that, you know, is probably what made these people not... Um, want to vote for that however i will say that it goes against their small government values but oh yeah i'm just saying, yeah, they're all <laughs> I'm just saying. i just say if you're a Republican yeah. party and you believe in small government or at least government intervention and if that's the reason mm. why you didn't vote then that's a, i don't know that's a sound make, a little bit contradictory to me but whatever a um hypocritical yeah not a surprise yeah but this uh, is not a political podcast it's not a political podcast so we're not gonna get okay. We're not gonna, we can talk about this later. You know, I can rant okay. about it later, but okay. um, I'm, we already, I already hit the one hour mark, so I'm just going to keep moving. <laughs> I'm going to keep moving. Okay. So <clears throat> um, there have been calls for justice from, uh, from different organizations. And so these are some of the things that they're calling for. Um, so they want acknowledgement to indigenous people's inherent right to their culture, um, yes. which I definitely agree with. Um, so even maybe just like acknowledging that they even exist and that they're mm. and that they're here mm-hmm. and they have rights. So for sure. Um, also, um, recognizing indigenous languages as official languages, mm-hmm. which I also agree. Um, making funds available to support the restoration of indigenous cultures, um, mm-hmm. creating educational opportunities that incorporate indigenous I'm sorry. I'm drinking a Red Bull and I'm burping and now I'm hiccuping. 
Sorry. Um, yes, making funds available for the restoration of indigenous cultures, create educational opportunities that incorporate indigenous language, um, educate the general public and those within social services about anti-racism and anti-sexism and implement social movements based on confronting stereotypes and support the increase in representation of indigenous people in media. And now, some of you might be thinking, what does this have to do with the highway of tears and protecting these women but i think this is a very and these calls these calls for justice are very are valid because i think that one of the reasons i think that there are many reasons for women and digital women are targets but i think one of the main reasons i think that as a society we have turned our backs on the indigenous people like we treated them like crap and then we turned around we turned our backs on them and basically was like you guys figure it out on your own um and i think that and also like you know america and canada they've historically have robbed indigenous people of their culture of their language and basically of their like they've dehumanized them and they forced them to adopt a culture that wasn't theirs and i think by i think that by doing all these things you bring not that they didn't have dignity before but it's like you're giving them what is theirs like you are yeah. you're giving them what's theirs you're giving you're you're basically almost like reparations in the sense that like you're giving them what you took from them yeah and then also like giving them the ability to become empowered and um and also just like i feel like by by doing that as a government you are letting the rest of your people know, the rest of the population know, that these people are important. Do you mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Because I think that, yeah. like, as a government, if you, like, you have, as a government, you have power to influence how society perceives certain, certain things. And if you, as a government, acknowledge indigenous people's right to exist, and then you recognize their languages, and you restore the culture, and you create representation you represent them in the media and you and you read about them in the history books Mm. you you kind of like remind society these people exist and that they're human beings and with that comes respect and with the respect there you know people can provide protection you know police can you know view them you know they'll put more effort into solving cases that affect these women like all of this stuff is connected yeah. It's all connected. And so mm-hmm. I definitely feel like, yeah, for sure. Like it starts there. It starts at the very beginning. It starts at the root of the issue. You know what exactly. I mean? Exactly. Yeah. So for sure. Um and uh yeah. Um, so I wanted to end it with this. Um on the Highway of Tears website, there are they provide the names of some of the women who have been victims um who have gone missing or been murdered along the highway of tears and so i wanted to kind of um say their names and then also talk a little bit about a couple of them you know mm-hmm. um i know we don't i know i've been talking a lot but i think this is really important it um is. yeah so two three women i picked three women to talk about so the first woman i um 
picked was Tamara Chipman, which is the one I mentioned before. So she was 22 when she disappeared. She grew up on, she was described, well, she grew up on her father's fishing boat and she was described as loving the outdoors. Um, She loved fast boats and fast cars. Um, And she was a mother to a young boy and he was two and a half years old when she went missing. Um, Where she was last seen in near Prince Rupert, British Columbia, on September 21st, 2005. Um, her home community was the Maurice Town First Nation, and she was last seen hitchhiking. Um, and so I mentioned Gladys Raddick, who was her aunt and who's also an activist, and she says that the family has given up on authorities giving them answers, and they had last heard from them in 2013. Um, I don't know how recent the article was. I forgot to look at the date, but, you know... To not hear from them since 2013 is a long time. She says yeah. there have been issues with dismissive labels. Um, so she has, so Tamara Chapman has been described as someone involved with quote unquote risky behavior, quote unquote sex trade worker. Um, and so there's been a lot of stuff online that make derogatory statements about her, um, which I definitely, you know, I definitely get that because I think. I mean, what's the point? What's the point of saying like this person was a sex worker or this person yeah. lived a risky lifestyle? It's just kind of like I just a way to be like to almost say like she deserved it or yeah. like this can't happen to you because if you're not a sex worker, there's nothing to worry about. Right. Um, and, and it also kind of just like, yeah, it implies that like this person deserved what they got because and like what does a risky lifestyle even mean? Like it's just yeah, it's just a Define way to. It. Yeah, it's just a way to, you know puts judgment on people's yeah on people. absolutely yeah absolutely yeah. so i definitely get that anger because there's really no point in it this a woman is missing her family misses her that should be yeah. it like there should no be no matter what she's doing exactly yeah um so then rat because of this radic uh, gladys radic co-founded walk for justice an organization dedicated to raising awareness of missing and murdered indigenous women so um if you're interested in that she has that website up um another person um that i uh, read about was leah alicia germain um she was another indigenous woman who was murdered on december 9th of 1994 behind haldi road elementary school off the highway 16 west outside of prince george uh, leah was stabbed to death and she also knew uh she also knew uh, a victim roxanne um thiara who went missing, who Roxanne went missing in Prince George on July, on the July long weekend in 1994. She had had worked as a sex worker and she told a friend she was going out with a customer. So the fact, so I bring up the fact she's a sex worker because it's relevant to when she went missing. Um, um, So she had told a friend that she was going out with a customer. Um, so she was walking around the corner of a building and was never heard from again. So her body was found on the 17th of August, 1994 in the bush along highway 16 east of Burns Lake. And like I said, she knew the victim, Alicia Germain. Mm. And then finally, um, finally, um, I think Leah was 15 and Aww. Roxanne was 15 as well. Um, and Delphine Nical is the last person I researched, and she was also 15 years old. Um, she vanished on June 13th, 1990. 
She was last seen hitchhiking along uh, Highway 16 and King Street on her way home to Telqua, British Columbia. Um, at approximately 10 p.m., Delphine called her uncle to tell him that she was on her way home from Smithers. She was last seen by her two friends hitchhiking in the eastbound lane of Highway 16. She went missing about a year after her cousin Cecilia went missing. Um, she also had a cousin, Roberta Cecilia, uh, Cecilia Nical, who was murdered a few years after Delphine disappeared. Oh so as you can see here, there's even links amongst the victims, which shows like how almost like they're being targeted. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And like there's links, but there are links between two victims, um, two different sets of victims. And, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, like it's, yeah, it's really sad. Um, and I wanted to mention the names of the other women. So in memory of them, um, other women, other victims include Lana, Derek, Nicole, Horrible, which you, which you mentioned, Monica, Jack, Jelly, Ann, Shelly, Ann Bescu, Gloria Moody, Gail Weiss, Destiny Ray Tom, um, Eluk, Katharina, Sarik Auger, Alberta Williams, uh, Natasha Montgomery, Jill Stuchenko, Ramona Wilson, Bonnie Joseph, Cynthia Mass, Pamela Darlington, Monica Ignace, Micheline Pear, Immaculate Basil or Basil. Colleen McMillan and Maureen Movie. And these are just the women that are mentioned on the page. On Wikipedia, Wikipedia has an even longer page of um, victims. So, yeah. So, in memory of them, if you know any information, there are still a lot of families. Um, there's still a lot of families um, that don't know anything about yeah. their daughters. So, yeah. So in memory of those women. And that yeah. is the story, the very tragic story of the Highway of Tears. Wow. Thank you so much for covering this story and bringing, like, bringing this information and lifting it up for whoever our listeners are and for me. Um, and this just, honestly, like, this... Like, to reiterate again, like, this... Why? This highlights the importance... Um, of of righting the wrongs yeah of indigenous people both in the u.s like native indigenous americans or in in canada that's why these things like kind of the um paying respect to their traditional culture that's why these things are important yeah um and yeah it's just it's just yeah i'm kind of i'm like a little speechless because a because I've known, I've known about um, is ep- I don't know if epidemic is the right word to use, but the yeah. epidemic of yeah of of missing indigenous women, mm-hmm. but I guess like this, you highlighting this kind of really, I don't know it like really, like I don't know what I'm trying to say, but it it it, it really like indicates how deep and systemic this issue is yeah yeah and and i mean i learned i didn't i learned a lot researching this and that's actually like 
the nerd in me loves the research aspect of this podcast because I learn so much, but it also, it leaves you like really depressed and really sad and yeah, like speechless at the end because you're just like, I can't believe that this is happening and no one cares. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's, or nobody's talking about it. And, um, and also like as a woman, I mean, you and I, we've talked about this before, but, like, you and I know that, like, being a woman is pretty much accepting that, like, you're always going to be living in fear. And to think that Indigenous women in particular have to live with, like, knowing that they're three times more likely to be victims of these crimes, like, than the average woman, for me, is just so sad because it's, like, I already live in fear and I live in a pretty good area. And I, are, I live in fear every day. Like, I don't walk my dog after 5 p.m. because it's yeah. dark and it's scary. And I walk around with only one AirPod on. Like, I don't – I'm always, like, vigilant. And to think that, like, these women – and that's – I don't know, I was reading this in the article. Um, these articles were, like, the, wi- these women grow up knowing that this is, like, a reality. Like, these women aren't ignorant – of what's happening but unfortunately due to like circumstances like they have to put their lives at risk you know you know or like accept this risk to get to point a to point b um and it's just but yeah like these girls like that you know these girls grow up knowing that like this is a danger and you know and they're in you know they're in danger and like i can't like just on top of everything that you have to go through as an indigenous woman then to add that to everything is just sad but also like infuriating you know that it's taken this long um to do anything about it but but yeah yes i'm sorry my computer is dying so i had to quickly no it's jump okay up and finish. i just um, finished talking okay um sorry now i'm all discombobulated but um Are you okay Yes, like that, that thing of living in fear and not wanting to become a statistic. That's a, that's definitely, that's a very heavy thing to carry with you. Yeah. Every day. And like you were saying, like knowing that, or fearing that you could, like you could potentially go missing and Mm -hmm. you're, and not be found. Yeah. And have no one advocating for and having having no one advocate for you, that's that's heavy to carry. Yeah. I'm hoping you have like a spooky story that will lighten up the mood. Or is it another depressing story like mine? I actually do have a spooky story. Yay! That will... <laughs> um, okay. Let me So now I can get I'm comfortable. Gonna... Uh, stretch out my back. That. Ah, sit back and relax while you tell me a story. <laughs> oh, right. yeah. if, you, if you hear any like echo, I'm so sorry. I had to move into my room because my um my laptop was dying. So apologies if the sound is weird. Apology not get... accepted. Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. All right, let me get my let me get my shit together over here. I'm take a quick sip. <coughs> my water. Look at you being healthy drinking water. I have a can of Red Bull and I'm dehydrated. (laughs) 
Yeah, I just recently, I'm trying to like drink 80 ounces of water a day, but it's not easy. And it's not like I've actually like been doing it like a lot. Yesterday was the first day that I actually managed to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but most of the time I like completely forget to drink water. Me too. So. <laughs> like I'll have like a headache at like 4 p.m. And I'm like, why does my head hurt? And it's like, you haven't right? drank water all day. Yeah. <clears throat> Just yeah. Over your chronically dehydrated. Okay. All right. So. I think that now that I'm thinking about it, I should have ended. I should have ended the podcast because my now I'm sad because of the story. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Next time, <laughs> next time I'll go last. I'll just, I'll always go last. Okay, tell me your story. <laughs> All right, so tonight I'm going to tell you and the listeners about the hauntings of the Myrtle Plantation uh, in Louisiana. Oh, they're going to say so, Myrtle Beach. Yeah, you would think, you would think it would be in Myrtle Beach. Okay, so the Myrtle Plantation is a former obviously in the name, is a former plantation located in St. Francisville, Louisiana. It was built in 1796 by General David Bradford and was normally, formally named Laurel Grove. So according to Wikipedia, which is where I got some of my sources, David Bradford participated in the Whiskey Rebellion. And for those who are unfamiliar the, ris- the whiskey. Re- <laughs> I don't know what that is. <laughs> the whiskey rebellion was a tax protest in the U.S. that lasted between 1791 and 1794, and basically, colonists were pissed that the U.S. government imposed a task on a tax on whiskey, and they protested. Um, it was like an armed protest. Uh, folks were armed, and they attacked the government. And General David Bradford Stupid. was among. Yep. <laughs> and General David Bradford was among the protesters and was eventually charged with treason. Why can't but, white people why can't white people ever protest about things that are important? Right? And here's going back, and, to, and the true, going back to the insurrection. But um, in true fashion, he was pardoned by President John Adams. So he basically rose up against the government and was pardoned. So um <laughs> must be nice must be nice. Ah, must must be nice because you know when when people of color do that we just get killed but anyway anyways <laughs> so after that fiasco bradford moved with his wife elizabeth and their five children to what's now the myrtle plantation um bradford died in 1808 and elizabeth continued running the plantation until 1817 so in 1817 Management of the plantation is taken over by someone named Clark Woodruff, who was a former student of Bradford. So mm-hmm. I'm basically just going down the line of the, the basically the chains of custody, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So Elizabeth, Bradford's wife, dies. And then Woodruff and his daughter, Mary, hire a caretaker to manage the plantation. And then in 1834, Woodruff sells the plantation to this dude named Ruffin <coughs> Gray Sterling. And it's at this time, (laughs) and it's at this time that the plantation's name is changed from Laurel Grove to Myrtle Plantation. So Sterling dies in 1854, and now we're we're to his wife, Mary Catherine Cobb, who is running the plantation. So in 1865, Mary hires her son-in-law, William Drew Winter, to help to also help her manage the plantation. 
But then in 1871, William is killed right on the porch, allegedly by this guy named E.S. Weber. So other accounts have I've read claimed that William was shot on the porch and stumbled into the house and managed to make it up 17 steps before dying on the stairs. Um, but well, other, why? Why would you go up the stairs? What's upstairs? I don't know. Um, <laughs> but then other accounts claim that he was shot on the porch and died. But either way, he died. He was murdered. Um, so he's dead <laughs> by 1871. And at this point, his widow Sarah and her mother Mary remain living on the plantation. Okay. Sarah dies in 1878. Mary dies in 1880. Now, Mary's son Stephen has a plantation, who then sells it to this dude named Orrin D. Brooks. Who then That's sells a cool name. That's a cool name. Orrin D. Brooks. My uncle's name was Orrin. Really? Yeah. Isn't that, Do you watch Parks and Rec? Yes. Isn't that the name of the creepy, uh, April's creepy friend? Yes, it is. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, okay. So, Orrin, Orrin Brooks now has... Okay, hold on. So, oh. so, we're in the 19th century right now. We're in the 18... 80s, yeah. 80s, okay. Yeah, so Oren D. Brooks has it. Then he sells it to Harrison Milton Williams. Okay? So then, over the years, the plantation is now handed down to the various heirs of Harrison Milton Williams. So finally, we've made it all the way to the 1950s when Marjorie Munson buys the former plantation. Okay, so now I've gotten all the boring history shit out of the way. So... Marjorie, oh, oh and we're, we're in the 1950s now. Yeah, you said So, that. okay. Marjorie <laughs> noticed some weird things happening around the property. And <gasps> it's the ghost of the guy who climbed up the 17 steps. What's his name? Sterling? Uh, oh, shit. I've already forgotten what the name oh. was. <laughs> That's okay. There's so many people. I don't, yeah, know, okay. I, I don't even know why okay. I felt the need to, like, go through this entire, like, ridiculous history of who owned it. But anyways, so... What's his name? Woodruff? Yeah, I think Woodruff was the guy who got murdered. No, William. What's his name? William Drew Winter. He's the guy that got murdered. So, okay. So Marjorie noticed weird things happening around the house. And it's around this time that somehow the Myrtle Plantation earned the title of the most haunted house in America. And but to be honest, like I feel like everywhere in America is called the haunt, most haunted place in America. But <laughs> who am I? <laughs> There's also so, like no way to confirm. Yeah, like are there like your ghosts, word for it. Yeah, like ghost scientists who are like, okay, yeah. this haunting is like this is the most extreme haunt. Like what what is like the criteria for most haunt? I don't know. This place has seven ghosts. This place has four <laughs> ghosts. <laughs> so okay, let's get into the spooky stuff. So first off, we have the legend of Chloe, the most well-known of the ghosts. So Chloe was an enslaved person on the plantation. And there's a couple different versions of the story. Um, The first being that Chloe was routinely being sexually assaulted by one of the former owners, mm -hmm, Clark, and was forced to become his mistress. Ugh. Um... So I will, I will say this right now, that I'm being intentional with my words here because in my sources that I was reading, they characterized this as though this was a consensual relationship, yeah. but I don't think that we should make that assumption. So I'm putting mistress in quotes because... Um, so, so basically, I'm being intentional with my words here because 
there it's being characterized as like this was a consensual relationship but at the end of the day um quote unquote chloe was unfortunately considered property so yeah um so she couldn't have said no if she wanted to exactly right um so the other version of the story is that she's not necessarily his quote-unquote mistress but that she's caught listening in on a conversation that clark is having and they cut her ear off her (gasps) they cut her ear off as a punishment and as the story goes for revenge for this horrific treatment chloe bakes a cake that has oleander leaves which are poisonous and again the yeah. So again, the, the legends diverge when it comes to why she poisoned the cake. Mm-hmm. So one legend claims <clears throat> it's revenge due to her having her ear cut off for being sexually assaulted. Another legend claims that she baked the cake after getting her ear cut off so that she could nurse the family back to health after getting punished for eavesdropping on the conversation. Mm. And that she would basically nurse them back to health and get back in their good graces. But then she ended up giving them too much poison and um, Sarah, who was one, the um, owner's wife, and her two daughters eat the poison and they all die. So it's kind of weird because the legend says that Chloe is then hung by the other enslaved people um, on the on this plantation. I put in quotes here. I called it a forced labor camp, formerly known as a plantation. Um, but anyway, right. so mm-hmm. yeah, so basically she was hung by other enslaved people as punishment. Um, well, I would have, like, thrown her a parade. Right? I would have, no offense, but I would have started partying. Like, yeah. Like, you know, like, Wizard of Oz? I don't, this might be a fucked up comparison, but, like, Wizard of Oz when the Wicked Witch, when the house falls on top of the Wicked yeah. Witch. And then, the, maybe that's a fucked up comparison. But maybe, um, like, but also, like, we don't, I don't know, like, we're not in that mindset. And, like, maybe, maybe it was one of those things where it's, like, divide and conquer like you have to do like what you need to do to survive and if you yeah like if you don't hang this person then you're gonna be viewed as like you could possibly be accused as being an accomplice and then you're right you're fucked so it's kind of yeah. like killing her by showing that you weren't you weren't for what she did to save yourself like yeah. we don't we don't really know which is yeah. also like really sad that that's like you know so that's something that has to happen as a result of like slavery and racism. Yeah. So, yeah, it's very possible like, that the the circumstances that they yeah. were living in, like, yeah, maybe they didn't have a choice, or maybe this like the best choice that they could have made at the time. Mm-hmm. Um. So that's the story of Chloe, and we'll we'll get back to that a little bit like later. Mm-hmm. Um. And so next, there's a mirror in the house that people have claimed seeing faces in it nope nope nope. children's fingerprints nope and claw marks nope (laughs) (laughs) nope um i don't know if i mentioned this like later um i don't know if i mentioned this later in my notes so i'm just gonna say this now that like the i'm pretty sure i think the myrtle foundation was a bed a a bed and breakfast at some point so these were like people staying overnight yeah, these are people staying overnight who are seeing this stuff. Ew, like, no. I would leave. I would I would take my things and leave. Yeah. No I'm not going to lie. I actually stayed in a, ho- a haunted hotel once um, in Charleston. 
I don't know if I ever told you this. Like knowingly stayed, or you just like yeah, we knowingly stayed. Kristen, I don't. (laughs) One of these days, one of these days, you are going to. Yeah, it was so honestly because I was with I was there with um our friend Amanda. Amanda, Yeah, and because like Amanda's a person that like if I want to do like some weird spooky like haunted specifically like haunted stuff like she's down to do it but we're also both scaredy cats well i'm glad you have a friend like that because i'm not gonna be that friend (laughs) i will tell you i will be the one to be like well i ain't going in there if y'all want to go in there y'all can go i'm gonna wait outside i'm not gonna be yeah but we're also i like to say we're also both scaredy cats so like it's like we're because it's like we want to do that stuff but then when we get in that situation a potentially haunted situation we sh- we basically shit ourselves because like we stayed at the hotel and we was it a hotel or was it like a bed and breakfasty kind of hotel it was a hotel like a proper hotel okay and like the 10th floor was apparently the, like the haunted floor but we weren't staying on the 10th floor yeah but i remember i remember um the, it was the 4th of july like literally the 4th of july mm-hmm. and we were in the room watching um the fireworks and the whole like ceremony in DC and we were watching it and I at the time I saw a figure behind like I was watching the TV and I thought I saw a figure like in my in the reflection like go across the screen like scurry across the screen behind me oh my so I start freaking the fuck out and I tell Amanda I'm like Amanda oh my god I start freaking out I'm like man oh my god I think I saw something like weird like go across, go across the screen did you see that blah, blah blah and of course like i'm scaring her so we're both scared <laughs> shitless like just like scared as shit um we both sleep with the lights on and the tv on all night and i was expe- i was expecting to like wake up and have someone standing over me and then just die of a heart attack or something, something crazy like that so then <laughs> i wouldn't even try to sleep at all i would have like been hopped up <laughs> on like red bull and been like we're not sleeping someone yeah. has to keep their eye open or take or take sleep or sleep in turns. Yeah, um, and and then so then the next morning, I was like, no, I need like I need concrete evidence of this. Um, Why do you need concrete evidence? Just leave. <laughs> I don't get it. Okay, whatever. Keep going. So I needed to know if I was crazy or not. So I basically found like a YouTube video of the ceremony online. <laughs> um. And it turns out that the figure that I saw was a stagehand who was wearing all black. <laughs> who was just screaming across the screen. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Oh I, felt, God. I, was, I felt so dumb. Because we, like, like, we were literally up in fear, like, all night, scared that there was something in our room. Um, well, that's the thing. Like, you put yourself in situations, and then you become, you get, like, this heightened sense of fear that makes you interpret things that could that on any other day you wouldn't even think twice at but because you're yeah. like hyper vigilant in that situation you're like expecting <laughs> something to pop out at you yeah it was very stressful and okay real quick because i have i actually have another oh my god story. <laughs> Wait, okay, this i just time gotta we- know i just Kristen, i just got a notification oh. on my phone that was like Bloop, and it scared up but jeez oh my god Oh my god, my heart is beating so fast right now. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I have another spooky story. Well, we've talked about this. We really shouldn't have done these things that earlier. Yes, we do. We we should probably record earlier. And I remember there was one time that we were recording and I was home alone. 
And I was so scared because I was in my closet and I was like, oh my God, I'm not going to, I don't know. Like it was just, yeah, maybe we should, maybe we should look into recording earlier. Yes, we do. <laughs> but okay. Okay. Do. My second story real quick. This time we stayed in a hotel. We did not, there was no indication it was haunted. Like it was just a regular hotel and it was in yeah. Savannah, Georgia. And so we leave the hotel to go on a ghost tour, of course. And I, we both distinctly remember the lights being off, like when we oh, left. Oh, you told me this, but I want to hear it again. Okay. And so we come back. At, mind you, it's after the ghost tour. And the Savannah ghost tour is actually very spooky and scary. Like Savannah, Savannah, Georgia actually has some very spooky history. Um, and the ghost tour is very good. And we both kind of had like a feeling of just like kind of like unease from mm-hmm. from the ghost tour because it was so spooky. So we tell room. And all of the lights are on. Like, nope. you know how, like, hotels have two lamps by each bed? And yep. then there was another, there was an extra light in the corner next to, like, an armchair. All the lights were on. And we distinctly remember having the lights being off. Was it possible that there was, like, a cleaning lady? Well, we, we talked to the front desk and he said nobody should have gone in the room. Nope. So nope, my nope, nope. so that was the probably the scarier. I did, I barely slept. Like I was waking up like every couple of hours because I was so scared. And again, we slept with the lights on, and and um, it's real. It was really funny because we both convinced ourselves like, oh I, maybe I think I forgot to turn the light off. Like we both convinced ourselves. Like I was like I think we like I just forgot. But then it yeah. wasn't until we were on the drive back where I was like, Amanda, I really don't think that either of us forgot to turn off the lights. I distinctly remember the lights being off. And there's no explanation for... And like the front desk guy assured us that nobody should have been in the room. And that housekeeping wouldn't have been in the room. Bruh, you brought some bad juju. Back to the hotel. Yeah. yeah. See, this is, okay, like- see, this is why I don't put myself in situations like this. Because... <laughs> I, well, I mean, I mean, we're going off topic here, but I grew up, I grew up in an evangelical home. And Mm -hmm. if anyone who's listening to this goes to my church, y'all know what I'm talking about. Like, we, like, I grew up with my parents telling me stories about demons and how ghosts aren't ghosts, that ghosts are demons. And so that is, I've been terrified of demons since, like, I was, like, three, since I could remember. And so I don't. You know, this isn't really a question of whether I believe or I don't believe. Like, this is just something where it's like, I don't mess with that stuff, period. Because I'm like, mm-hmm. well, I don't know. Like, if I'm going to bring something back, like, I don't know if something's going to follow me. I don't know if something's yeah. going to possess me. So, like, I avoid the situations at all. So, just hearing you talk about you <laughs> voluntarily putting yourself in these situations just blows my mind. Because I'm like, you're doing everything that I would, n- I would not do. Like, I just wouldn't. Yeah. I would not. Yeah, and to to be fair, I will say that since then, because we went on this road trip when we were like 22. Right. So I will say, I will say that since then, I have developed a healthy fear of the paranormal. Like, I'm fascinated by the paranormal and I will continue to like research it. But I refuse at this point in time, I, because I agree with you. Like, I think I do believe that like there's a lot of demons that are masquerading. Um, as like spirits and that like most spirits like you 
yeah, I basically agree with you there. And so, yeah, I got my adventure out in high school and a little bit post-college, but now the most I would do is probably, is definitely a ghost tour, but I will never, honestly, I will never summon no Ouija boards for me, no seances, no, no ghost hunting for me because I, I've heard enough stories of that shit to where it's like, I'm just gonna admire it from afar and not mess with it and bring that into my own life because that, I don't want that in my life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, I like hearing other people's stories about it. Yeah. But I wouldn't put myself in a situation like that. Like, I just, and also I know myself, like, you, you would, you could, you couldn't sleep one night. I guarantee you, if I was in your situation, I wouldn't sleep for a week. After we watched, (laughs) after we watched Candyman, and Candyman wasn't even scary. After I watched Candyman, I didn't sleep with the I didn't sleep with the lights off for like three days. Really? Yeah. That's funny. I, I was scared. And I'm like, that movie wasn't even scary. Like in the theaters, I was like, this is nothing. And then at home at like 11 o'clock p.m., I was like, let me just turn my light on. And then I like slept with the light on for like three days. So. Yeah. Yeah, no. Okay, but keep going. Back to your story. Yes, back to the story. <clears throat> um, okay. Where was I? Oh, okay. So, okay. So we got a mirror in the house. The mirror Mm -hmm. is in the house. People are seeing faces in there. People are seeing children's fingerprints, claw marks. They're saying that the claw marks are from one of the former owners, Sarah, who's trying to get out of the mirror. And also a former owner of the house claimed that they were almost killed when this mirror flew 20 feet off the wall and hit his head. So there might even be some poltergeist activity happening in this house um okay so in 1992 the owners of the former plantation took a picture of the outside property to get fire insurance and they wanted a picture that showed the distance between two buildings that were on the property and the insurance was rejected because the company had asked for a photo with no people and apparently the picture that they received had the image of a person And they sent the photo negatives to a film crew with the National Geographic who were filming on the property. And they, quote unquote, determined that the photograph definitely contained what appeared to be an apparition of what they believed to be a human. And I should probably, I'm going to Google. No, don't show me. Okay, good. Yeah. Also, it would take me too long to find it. Um, (laughs) Don't show me. I don't want to see it. I looked at the picture and I don't think I even saw. Oh, no, I did look at the picture and there definitely was a person in the picture. Um. Other people have claimed to see a ghost wearing a turban who they believe to be Chloe. Um, And so, like I was saying before, the accounts of the ghosts on the Myrtle Plantation began in the 1950s. But at the time, the ghost was this older woman um, believed to be wearing a green bonnet or a turban. And then in the 1970s, the property came under even more new ownership and was turned into a bed and breakfast. Um, And this was somehow when the Chloe backstory was created. So I suspect probably to increase tourism to the plantation, like, you know, like, you know, a lot of people are scared of the haunted stuff, but a lot of people are drawn into going into like staying at haunted bed and breakfast and hotels and like want to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have a theory that a lot of these places, like they probably like embellish a lot of the shit to get like increased the tourism. Mm-hmm. Um, so interestingly, there was an account from 1977 that claimed that in 1825, the owners of the Myrtle Plantation 
hired a French governess to take care of his daughter. Both of her ears were cut off and her only child was taken from her. And now her ghost was said to roam the upstairs house and people were waking up to her looking over them, supposedly looking for her lost child. Um, People have claimed to hearing, like people have claimed hearing or seeing, you cannot see footsteps. I don't know what I was writing there. Yeah, you can. Oh, they heard her soft footsteps on the stairs and they saw lights. Oh no, you can see footprints, sorry. You can't see. Yeah, I don't know what I meant when I... Yeah, let's say they heard or saw footsteps or footprints. Um, They saw lights turning on and off. They heard crying children, shaking doorknobs, basically your typical haunted house. Um, Okay. I'm scared. I I said all this. Um, And here's the interesting thing about Chloe. It's all bullshit. There's no historical records of an enslaved person named Chloe living on a plantation, nor are there any records of the Woodruff's owning enslaved people at all yellow fever is what most likely killed off actually no yellow fever is what killed off the family not poisoning Mm. so basically they basically made up the story to probably attract tourism so sorry if i'm sorry if i'm ruining like their their whole game but like well no but i feel much better now now i feel like my yeah. heart rate can go back to normal because i was like really scared i mean i feel like i'm gonna be honest like i'm very skeptical of most haunted houses because i do feel like every i feel like a lot of haunted places want to be like the next amnaville house like they want to mm-hmm. be like they want a movie or like the story of the conjuring or annabelle oh, like yeah. they want like they want the movie they want the documentaries like and yeah like tourism brings like haunted house stories bring in a lot of people like you who would pay money <laughs> to like sleep there or whatever <laughs> like yeah that brings in a lot of money so yeah i'm not i mean i'm not saying that like most of these places like some of these places aren't haunted like i'm sure they are because i definitely believe that it's possible but i think that i don't know like i just feel like there's a lot of money to be made and it's almost like there's more motivation to lie you know what i'm saying yeah because mm-hmm. like yeah when you look into a lot of it like like a lot of the the haunted house stories are very much embellished. Like yeah. the whole the Amityville thing. I think that there were a couple accounts of unexplained occurrences, but it was embellished upon. I believe it was embellished upon by the people who lived there um, to like for just just to get noticed. Yeah. Um, and I think people have said the same thing about The Conjuring. The, I forget. Oh, Ed and, Ed and Lorraine Warren. Um, that, you know, they're portrayed, like, as these, like, really, like, experienced and seasoned paranormal investigators yeah. in the movies. Which I love the movies. But in real life, um, they might have been scammers. Or, like, I'm, like, I think they believed, like, what they were doing. But they were probably, like, more or less, like, scammers. Um, so... The reason why I chose this story was because, like, I've, I've always heard of the Myrtle Plantation um, growing up, like, watching, like, you know, most terrifying places in America and stuff on TLC and the Travel mm-hmm. Channel. And I've, and I've, I've, I've watched, like, certain, um, like, reality shows. Because there used to be, I don't know if you remember this, um, were you allowed to watch MTV as a kid? Girl, I was poor. I did not have cable. <laughs> I had, like, three okay. channels. Well, I remember as a kid, like, when I was in, like, elementary school, um, 
me and my sister used to watch this show called Fear on MTV. And this show was real, so, so effing scary. But it was basically, um, what's it called? They basically brought, like, it was in the early 2000s. They basically brought together a group of young people to investigate, like, a supposedly, like, haunted location. Mm-hmm. Um, and whoever could survive the night, no one, like, really died. But, like, whoever could survive the night would get, a, like, a sum of money. Um, and it was always very, very scary because they would make, they would start off by making people go in pairs and then they would eventually force people to like go out into this like dark haunted place by themselves with only a camera and they would have to complete like certain challenges, like basically like goading on the ghost and trying to like, con- literally conjure a spirit or doing a seance by themselves. Like they would make them do that. And then it would be so scary that people would like lead. Like that was the whole point. Like the last person standing would get the money um and one of the one of the topics one of the locations they went to was the myrtle plantation and they talked a lot about chloe the enslaved the enslaved girl um and that whole story and so i always uh i always associated chloe with the myrtle plantation and learning now that a a lot of the locations on that show again they embellished the happenings there yeah and learning now that the chloe like ghost story was all made up it just like weirds me out a little bit that like they basically that somebody like basically made up like this weird revenge story about an enslaved girl who's being sexually assaulted but you're making it sound like it's like consensual uh, it just doesn't sit right with me. Like, the whole idea of making this story, like, doesn't sit right with me now. And, like, slavery was horrible enough. Like, yeah. I feel like we don't need to be making up stories. Like, you could just look to any historical record and find true shit. And it's just weird to me, like, having other enslaved people. I don't know. Just having the, like, making it up so that the enslaved people killed Chloe out of loyalty like yeah. that's just so weird like the whole thing was just really weird to me which is why i wanted to like make like talk about yeah it. like it's ex- basically exploiting the slave experience to make like a spooky story yeah because like that's exactly then that doesn't sit right with me like i don't know <laughs> like it just yeah yeah but yeah no i get i get i get i get why it, it sounds weird to you because it does like Knowing that it's all fake, it's like, I don't know. Like, it's yeah, like someone had to sit yeah. there and come up with a story. Like, someone made this up and thought it was okay to, like, circulate. And that people are still telling the story. Yeah. Like, it's just Well, because it's like, um, well, it's because, like, it's like a fun revenge story. But, like. Yeah. Mm. Kind of like a Django Unchained situation. Yeah. Well, in conclusion... Uh, can people, like, A, stop getting married on these forced labor camps, former plantations, and also stop treating these these locations like they're leisurely locations? Like, they were... But, yeah, and that just kind of, like, reminded me of how, like, in the South, a lot of, plant like, former plantations are being used as, like... Yeah. Photo, photo ops, marriage locations... And glossing over the ugly history yeah. um, that occurred there. And also, like, there was this plantation, former plantation in South Carolina. And I was going to go. 
when I was in Charleston because it's actually it actually is like historically accurate like Mm -hmm. they don't gloss over anything they talk about what really happened there and how enslaved people lived on lived on the land and there were a couple people who led review like who left reviews on TripAdvisor and were like um basically shitting on shitting on the tour because they felt like it was too dark and they oh, felt give like, me a break. Yeah. And they thought give that the, they, th- they thought that the tour guide was biased and they thought that the history like was biased. Um, and basically shitting on it because they were being honest about the history. And I was like, oh, I definitely need to go here now, but we didn't. But just a little factoid there. <sighs> history isn't here <laughs> to make you feel comfortable. Like, like what first of all, like how like basic basically like what they probably meant by like biased was like they're telling us all of like the bad things that happened here but they don't give us you know you know how like you know how like recently like school boards have been like you know you have to be able to tell like both sides of history mm-hmm. so like you know you can't just like focus on the negative you have to show like you have to focus on the other good stuff when it's like there are some things that you just can't provide the good stuff in and like slavery is one of yeah. them and also like like to go to a plantation, like, people go to a, pl- those people want to go to a plantation be told that, like, they want to be told, like, feel good stories about, like, well, what the family did here and, like, all the, the things that they celebrated and the things that went down in this parlor and, the, and like, the fancy parties that they did and this thing and, like, mm-hmm. how they have these beautiful gardens and how, blah, blah, blah. But it's, like, the truth of the matter is, is that, like, you know, slaves were free labor mm-hmm. and it's, like, they were treated, they were dehumanized. They weren't treated as human beings and, like, that's the reality of what life was like in these places and it's like you know what's the point of preserving these plantations if you're not going to talk about why these plantations even existed in the first place like you like mm-hmm. that's like and that's like i mean not to go into like again not to get political and not to talk about like crt or anything like that but it's like that amount of ignorance is why like kids and adults alike need to be informed about like the actual realities of their history because Mm-hmm. that is such like an ignorant mindset to have like i went to i went to a wedding at a plantation like in 2016 yeah 2016 2017 oh, but the thing is like mm-hmm. i didn't realize it was a plantation because they like they yeah. they dressed it they, up yeah they advertised it as thomas jefferson's childhood home and so like that was the appeal of like that's the appeal of like that's how that mm. land is marketed like that's how it's marketed and so or it was like his childhood something to do with thomas jefferson like his like i think it was like his childhood home and it was huge and there was like a it was mm-hmm. it was huge and like she got married in i think what essentially was like the front yard of this thing and it was supposed to be like rustic and like cute and southerny and, mm-hmm. and you know it's like first of all it was i mean if this person's i, don't, I doubt this person's listening but that wedding was not nice. I did not like it. But <laughs> but I don't know. Like it's I mean, the whole reason why these plantations were able to be like up and running is because it was I mean, the truth of the matter is, I mean, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Like I'm not very articulate, but I guess what I'm trying to say is like mm-hmm. is that these plantations exist and they were run on the backs of slaves. Yeah. And it's like for you to think that one rich family managed this plantation is a lie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a lie. Like it's literally like it's being like the face of the company 
and the slaves being like the people who run the company for real. But instead of being yeah. paid, they were just, it was just free labor. Yeah. But like, I don't know, like, I don't know. Again, it's a whole romanticized, it's a whole whitewashed romanticized view of history. Mm-hmm. You know, of kids want, like people wanting to be sold a very sterile, generic version of history because it makes them comfortable. Like nobody wants to come face to face with the reality and the atrocities that the people that came before us committed. Like every, and then also like, once you face those atrocities, if you, you have to accept the atrocities and once you accept the atrocities, then you have to accept the fact that like, we are still dealing with the consequence of those atrocities, but it's so easy for people to ignore that those atrocities happen because they don't want to acknowledge that we're still seeing the impacts of those now. People want to gloss over the reality because they don't want to, they don't want to come to face to face with their own privilege and they don't want to come to face to face with like, you know, why they have those privileges to begin with. Do you get what I'm saying? One, yeah, I 100%. And, and just to like tie it back to the highway of tears, I wanted to say, I wanted to say this earlier, but I forgot, but this is why we need to like reflect on and learn about our history. Yeah. This is like the highway of tears is exactly why. Yeah. yeah. Because we're never going to move forward if we're, if we don't think back to the past, because like you said, like the past is like, we're very much living things that were set up in the past. Um, and until folks get like comfortable until folks get comfortable with that, um we're just gonna continue to like history's gonna continue to like repeat itself um which might be by design who knows maybe that's probably the skeptic in me because i I feel like by design it's ignored because people don't want to uh people don't want to topple those like structures that privilege them so they'd rather just not talk about it because that's why that makes them uncomfortable because they acknowledge that they have that privilege deep down that's why i think people get so angry about their privilege because they know they have it and they don't want it taken away from them and they perceive that any form like it's a zero something like they perceive yeah. that any form of progress that any other groups make means that they miss out yeah and it doesn't have to be like that it doesn't yeah. it doesn't have to be like that at all but that's how people look at progress yeah um, and I think yeah and yeah. I think also when people hear the word privilege they they assume that that means like you have no problems and so obviously like there's people who are privileged that when they hear that word they're like you're saying that i don't have problems you're saying that i don't encounter problems you're saying that i have it easy because i'm x y and z that's not the case Mm -hmm. like i've i've had to deal with a lot of crap in my life and it's like that's not what the word privilege is like hearing those statistics you know it made me realize that i'm privileged because you know and it's hard it's hard to accept that because as like a woman of color specifically a woman in general or, and also being a Hispanic woman, you know, I'm, I'm exposed to a fair share of discrimination as well. Like, you know, mm-hmm. you know, I'm more likely than a white woman to be attacked as well. So mm-hmm. to, you know, to consider myself privileged is not, it's not often that I associate with myself with that term. But also when you look at the statistics of indigenous women, how like an indigenous woman is more is three times more likely than me to get attacked. Like how mm-hmm. does that not put me in a more privileged position than that person? Do you get what I'm saying? So it's like, yeah. So it's like privilege doesn't mean that you have it easy all the time. And that doesn't mean that life is going to be easy for you hundred percent of the time. Privilege just means that there are certain things that you were born into 
mm-hmm. that make you less likely to endure certain things in comparison to people who weren't born with those things. Like a person who yeah. has like like a person who has who was born with parents that were both college educated. You like you didn't choose to have two parents that were college educated who have mm-hmm. good jobs, but that's a privilege that you have. I didn't have mm-hmm. parents, you know, that were college educated. I'm a first generation college person, college student. Mm-hmm. Like that's a privilege that you have that I don't have. That doesn't mean that you don't have struggles because of it. Mm-hmm. It just means that like that gave you a leg up in life that other people didn't have because they weren't born with that. So it's kind of like I don't know. It's like people get so sensitive about being told like you have privileges, but it's like it's really just recognizing it's really just recognizing that like there are people that have less than you. Exactly. And, and like yeah. Um, a good another good way to think about it cuz I, I like I learned this sort of like in my in a class I took in college and it like stuck with me since then is that we all have different identities um Mm -hmm. and some are privileged and some are not and so like like you were saying before like a privileged identity or a privileged aspect of mine could be having two college educated parents or growing up like economically advantaged like I've never been I've never been oppressed or held back because of like 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 economically yeah but I'm also a black woman yeah. So like I live those the struggles that come with being a black woman. So let's if you're a, like a white female for example, your prop like you like your struggles are not because you are white. So like yeah. you still have struggles. Um so yeah. if you were born in in like a lower income area, you have struggles most like most certainly because you're low income. You have struggles most certainly because you're a female. But yeah. you're not struggling because you're white you're struggling because of those other things yeah. and the same could be said for anybody like black men your privileged aspect is that you're a male and the the part of you that um is oppressed is black so it like it's yeah. e- it's easier for me to see it like that um that like you're we're not nobody's saying that like your entire life has been easy because like has has been easy at all yeah. but you have not been held back by your race there are people who are held back her held back by the race just like there's people who are held back by their income or their sexual identity or their ability or things yeah. like that it's just that you are not held back because of your race yeah because like, that's how I, I think about it yeah because and also like i remember like i think i mentioned this to you before that like you know grow grow like and when we were in high school middle school going to your house your house is huge, especially in comparison to my house. Your house is huge. Mm-hmm. Your house is in a nice part of, like, our our town. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I remember going to your house and being like, Kristen's rich because mm-hmm. of, like, house you lived in. But mm-hmm. so definitely, like, you had more financial privilege than I did. Mm-hmm. So you had more, like, you know, you had that capital in comparison yeah. to me. But <clears throat> I'm lighter skinned than you. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. you know, and so you might have financial privilege over me, but I probably have racial privilege over you because I mm-hmm. I can pass more than you can. Yeah. And so, yeah, like, exactly. yeah. And so that doesn't mean that, like, everything's easy for me. Yeah. Just like it doesn't mean that you being having your family having more money than my family means that you had it easy all the time, too. So, mm-hmm. but it's, I think the more, the more we recognize our privileges, the more we realize like that there are other people in need 
And that mm-hmm. way we can provide that help. But you can't you can't provide help to a problem that you yourself refuse to recognize. And I think exactly. that's like the key there is like if you want to be a more empathetic person, you have to like you have to just recognize like why people that don't have what you have are treated a certain way. And that's mm-hmm. really all it is. Like nobody's asking you to like, I don't know if you've seen those pictures of like white people like wearing yokes around their neck and like kissing the feet of black people and being like, oh, we apologize on behalf of white people. And it's like nobody's I don't think nobody's anyone asking nobody's asking you to do that. Nobody's asking yeah. you to do that. <laughs> it's, liter- it's literally <laughs> just about like when someone's when someone a person of color or a transgender person or what have you or any other disenfranchised group tells you, you know, th- these are the struggles that we go through. Just recognizing that as a cisgendered person or as a heterosexual person or as a white person or as a, a privileged group, whatever it may be, just recognizing that there are people who have it worse than you because they don't have that privilege and just mm-hmm. being in, being sympathetic. And if you yeah. can help, help. But no one's asking you to be apologize for having money, and no one's telling you to give away all your money, or you know, yeah, or and or, no one's even asking you to like feel guilt. Yeah, I mean, no one's asking you to feel guilt, and if you feel guilty, um, I mean, that's on. Not to sound like insensitive, but if you feel guilty, like that's sort of on you. I feel like, <laughs> yeah, you know, like I don't know, like yeah. it's like like no one's asking you to like feel guilty necessarily it's more just re- like recognizing that there yeah. is a problem that there's inequality and asking you and for you to help and to yeah. even use your privilege because there's even some white people that like i saw a video of a white lady who saw a black guy being like being like um sh- like kind of like pulled over and like searched by the police and she literally got out of her car using her privilege she got out of the car um her boyfriend or whoever like ended up like double parking and she went up and started recording the, the the interaction. And she basically got the police, like, she was like, Why, what are you pulling him over for? And she basically got the police to leave the guy alone and let yeah. him go. Yeah. And so that's an example of that. Like, use your privilege. You're white. And yeah. so chances are, like the, like, the police are biased towards, like, people, like, certain skin colors. Yeah. So use that for good. I mean, I'm not saying necessarily saying that every white person has to go and like intervene in every like police situation, but that's an example of how yeah. you can help, you know? Yeah. And I mean, honestly, like, I don't know about you, Kristen, but for me, guilt of any kind does nothing for me. Like white guilt, yeah. like a white, per- like a making a white person feel bad for being white does nothing for me. Um, yeah. Making a rich person feel bad for having money does not do anything for me. It does nothing yeah. because guilt yeah. is just a feeling. Like if you're not going to do anything about it, then then there's no then I don't care about you feeling guilty like yeah you know like I don't feel guilty that I'm not an indigenous woman but I feel Mm -hmm. empowered to whether it be donate money or I felt empowered to make this podcast and using my privilege to you know do the research needed and like come bring this story to like I didn't have to do it I could have just sat there like oh I feel bad for these women but I was like Mm -hmm. no I want to do something like I want to let people know that this is like a thing that's happening and so it's, you know, it's, it's really, you don't like, you don't have to be like, I don't know. Like you don't, you don't like, no one's asking you to, no one's asking you to feel bad about who you are, but it's yeah. like, if you want to be a decent human being, 
just lend a hand. Like, that's all you need to lend do. Lend a hand. Yeah. Lend a hand, acknowledge, listen. Don't just, like, talk over people and yeah, listen. deny their yes. lived experience. Yes. Yeah, listen and be quiet. Don't deny anyone's lived experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I always think that's crazy. How are you going to tell somebody else what they went through? Like, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, but... But yeah, like it's actually not that much. We're ex- we're not really asking for much. <laughs> but people act like, like people act like it's so much though. People really do act like it. Yeah. Like, you're, like you're asking them to give up their identity, and it's like no. Yeah. Like nobody's asking yeah. you to feel ashamed for being white. Nobody's asking no. you to feel ashamed for having money. No one's asking you to be ashamed because your parents gave you everything that you needed. Like, good for mm-hmm. you, but that should be yeah. everybody's experience. That's the point. Is like exactly. that should be everybody's experience. Nobody should have, nobody should be treated like crap because they don't have the right skin color, or they don't have the right money, or they don't have the right education, or they mm-hmm. don't love the right person. Like, mm. nobody should be dealing with this crap. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And I don't know. I don't know. We've. <laughs> Yeah, 100%. Now we're all yeah. riled up. We've like, yeah, now talking, we're, yeah. Yeah, we were talking for like 15 minutes about this. <laughs> well, I guess this is a good place to stop. Yeah. Um, since we're at the two hour mark. But, um, I don't know how to end this, but. Well, did you want to do the, did you want to do the thing that we usually do, which is like the something positive that happened or something you're looking forward to? Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, you can go first, Amy. What is some? What is one thing? Um, or like, what's one thing that's like brightening up your week, or that you're looking forward to? Um, I have two weeks of break, which is nice. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, also, like I think I mentioned before, I've been killing it in CrossFit. Um, I I don't know. Like I'm just. I don't know. My mental health has just been better, and that's been really nice. Like I'm not as mm-hmm. anxious. I'm not as sad. And yeah, I love that. I'm feeling just a little bit better with my body, a little bit better with, um, I don't know. For those of you that don't know me, I'm a chubby person and it's been hard to kind of like just like disassociate health and weight, Mm. um, or to like love my body for how it is. So I'm just having, I'm like, I don't know. It's, it's been a struggle, but just developing a slightly better relationship with my body um, mm-hmm. Little by little, and then killing it in CrossFit. Hell yeah, has definitely like helped me with that. So, yeah. Hell yeah, I love that. Yes. How about you? Well, for me, I also have two weeks off, and this is like the longest vacation I've ever taken on a job. So I'm very excited um, to have this time off, and I'm also still like, even though I've been graduated from grad school for like six months. Like, this is, like, the first winter break in, like, three years um, that I don't have to, like, worry. Or or I guess, like, the semester would have ended, but I don't have to worry about going to school or class the next, like, semester. So just having that free time and rest. Mm Because I've been working hard. And the rest, like, I'm very much excited for that. And also, my job announced that they're giving us a week off in January. Um, So I'm going to be taking this two weeks off. And then um, I think I'll have, like, two weeks in January, and then I'll be off then. And you just so want to do that thing we talked about? I yeah, I was actually going to suggest that. Okay. That's a perfect time to do it. Okay. Um, so 
yeah so I'm just I'm honestly just excited to just rest because I'm also like trying not to like make myself feel bad for not being like productive whatever that means because screw that yeah screw it and like if I want to just like sit on the couch and like play video games or something or play my little like cooking simulation games I'm gonna fucking do it and I'm not gonna feel bad I love Um, cooking simulation what game are you playing (gasps) cooking fever okay I have to look it up okay look Oh my god, I love it. I love Cooking Fever. I think, like, there's another one called Cooking Madness, and then there's another one called Cook Off. I'm addicted to all of those games. Um, but Cooking Fever is my favorite. Um, <laughs> but, anyway, those games. Yeah, so I'm just looking, I'm just looking forward to rest. And, yes. and that's, that's my, yeah, that's, that's what's, like, I'm looking forward to. So, yeah. Yay! Well, that's a great way to end the podcast. So, um, we will see you guys after Christmas, I guess. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. Well, what do we usually say? You usually say the send off. Oh, yes. Well, we hope you enjoyed. We hope you enjoyed listening um, to these stories. We hope they informed you. We hope that the parts that were not supposed or no, the posts that were supposed to be funny. The parts that were supposed to be funny made you laugh, but then the not the serious parts. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> um, we hope you enjoy this episode. So we'll see you in the next one. And stay spooky.